Welcome to the Generation Influencer Podcast. I am your host, Sean Hanif, CEO of Afli, where we help influencers launch their own brands. We've been quite successful over the last two years, with the company now being worth $10 million. And our clients have a combined following of $20 million, which gives us a lot of experience in this industry. This podcast is all about showing how influencers are also entrepreneurs and how they should be thinking of themselves as businesses. We break down everything from how to grow your channel, monetization strategies, marketing, and what it really takes to grow and scale your business to the next level. Let's get into this episode. What's going on, guys? Welcome to the episode. It's been a a very forward-thinking week for me um, at Afli. I've been actually doing a lot of work around um, how to move our stock to the US and how we're going to set up fulfillment over there. The reason we want to do that is we've had a lot of orders in the US for different influencers and the shipping, sending it from London is too costly. So we've been looking into fulfillment companies, having phone calls with those guys, looking for agents. Agents are people that like clear your goods and pay the customs and sort all the paperwork that can do that for us. At the same time, we're speaking to US lawyers about setting up a company in the US as we need to, then there's a lot to do with tax, like who owns the stock and where is it going to sit. Different states have different taxes. And so we need to figure out what we're doing. Um, it's looking like it's going to be California. We're going for the West Coast port. So it's quicker for um, goods to come from China, Hong Kong, or if it's like Pakistan, India. So that that's what we've been working on the past week. And... We're here with a new episode. This time I thought I'd go for a different approach. I have a, a business owner and I'm going to get into all the things to do with his business and how he set it up. He's very similar to me that he's like a one man mission and that does loads of different things. Yeah, be kind, Sean, be kind. <laughs> that is loads of different things um, all by himself. So it's quite interesting for anyone who's like looking to set up their own business and know do you have what you actually need to know because I'm a firm believer of if, if if you're going to run your own business you do need to have a lot of skills yourself and you can't just put people in place and think they're going to do it for you so we're going to get into that we'll also be covering um, like the influencer industry from a business point of view and what's worked for him what hasn't so yeah so I guess um, it's Thomas from Jim Versus very very nice to be here Sean it's my pleasure yeah, I guess, you know, just give us a little bit of introduction about yourself and anyone's not heard of you or Jim Versus. What do you do? What does your company do? And just give us a little intro. So I am the founder of Jim Versus. We're a company that started around 2013 and uh, it morphed uh, in 2014 closer to clothing, which is what we do now. So we are a workout brand that uh, creates active wear, specifically monochrome only active wear. Targeted mainly at millennials, um, and we also have a host of complementary products. And um, yeah, it's a it's a very exciting time and a very exciting period for us. Nice. So, would you say two thousand and thirteen? Two thousand thirteen. I mean, I mean, it's a very rocky road to just roughly say how I started everything and where it all began. But um, on a very cold um, winter's uh, evening, let's say, I walked out of a gym and I I, I looked at myself. I was wearing a, a mix match tracksuit with holes in the bottoms, I had chalk all over my uh, my top. At that point, I was actually really, really sick of the way I looked and um, the fact that going to the gym meant 
back then at least, uh, you, you always had to dress down. I was sick of having a bag with, you know, two different outfits in it, having to change all the time. And um, for me, it kind of sparked off the idea that, you know, there was a problem here. Uh, I didn't always want to look like I was homeless when I'd come out of the gym. And I didn't always want to have to have a second wardrobe uh, where, you know, you've partitioned off part of your clothes uh, at home. So you've got your kind of out of date, crappy gym wear over here where you end up looking like a 90s bodybuilder. Um, and then you've got your normal clothes. So for me, I, originally, I was like, you know, there's got to be a way to fix this. I don't want to look like this. But then it leads on. I mean, I didn't actually really create any clothes, Sean, for, for maybe a, a year after that situation, because to start a product-based business, you need, you'll know, you need some money. And for me, I was at uni. Money was not an option. But I had a real in-depth knowledge of the fitness industry. Um, I was competing in UK BFF shows and was fortunate enough to go to the British finals in 2013. And um, off the back of that, and it was quite a hype back then, was um, to write ebooks, to do custom diet plans. The the uh, flexible dieting kind of approach was, was new back then. So I knew if I wanted to create any kind of movement, any kind of buzz, I was going to have to give value through a service because it was free for me to set up. Um, and the T-shirts were really a spin-off. You know, back then, most people don't know, I would, um, I would head into Uniqlo. I would buy a £5 T-shirt. And from there, I would take it to a local printer. And for another £5, he would do a heat transfer print over the top. So I used to make these T-shirts for £10. I'd sell them for 20 I'd give them to any of my clients for free. I'd use them on my YouTube videos. And you know what? Before I knew it, a year later, a lot of people kept asking me, can you do a stringer vest? Can you do a different style of T-shirt? And it was really more of a case of by demand. So at this time, was it Gym Versus or was it like it was, Thomas it was, Fitness? It was Gym Versus. Okay. The, the, the name, you know, it's, it's all about having an attitude towards opposition. Um, you know, like an empowerment for yourself. The vision for me always at this point now is um, it's not just about making good clothes. It's just having an ability. And that really drives me to impact and influence people with and without access to an active lifestyle. So the brand really is, is situated to help people, whether it's those without money, those that are in an odd location, you know, and help push them, inspire them and, and give them different opportunities because sport and active living, indirectly, I don't know, like everyone that plays sport will know this, gave me so, so much in my life. And I didn't know this when I was a 14-year-old boy, how much being in a football team would give me. Or heading, and, and a lot of people would relate, maybe listening to this, going to the gym with a training partner, training to fail, consistently turning up, being a leader, being able to talk and communicate, all these things that are drastically important for people that in this day and age we probably agree sit on their phones a little bit too much. They don't communicate or interact and they don't get off the sofa. So the brand morphed from this coaching element in 2013 into being really drawn towards clothing. A lot of my focus now is towards a rebrand. Um, anyone that's out there listening that wants to be entrepreneurial needs to understand that the vision is everything. It anchors you in, it gives you your focus and it helps kind of when you're a little bit lost when you're down in the dumps, when you're working too hard and too many hours, it keeps you on path and on track and it reminds you of why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, no, we're, we're going to get into that because I like, obviously we've spoken like before and your perspective on things is quite different than like what you generally um, hear. So I'm definitely going to get into that. Yeah, I think just uh, sticking with um, 
just the beginnings. So, like you just mentioned, uh, you're you're buying t-shirts, printing them, selling them. So, just talk me through. You know, when did you become the brand? Then, you know, when did you like start thinking of creating the products? And you know, how what happens? I, you I just remember, googled make make my I, own t-shirts I, I or production. Um, I always heard that you know, there's a buzz like you've got to get your t-shirts done in China or you've got to look on Alibaba and. You know, at the end of the day, that's what I did. It was as simple as a, a Google search. I, th- I think also in in terms of like 2017, 2018, there are so many more startups doing this than there were back in 2013. So that question was a lot more poignant and um, nothing's changed. If you want to make a clothing company, 100% go on Alibaba, start filtering the results, the gold suppliers, the ones that have been doing it over five years, and send, you know, volume is key. Send 10 different people a message and see what they're, you know, what they come back with. At the end of the day, it's more important to get along with them, find them amicable, because for the most part, these suppliers, uh, you know, they're drawing their fabric sources from similar places. Um, and that would then lead on to the most, one of the most important things is cost. And that's something I knew nothing about. And like yourself, when, you, when you're working on things from the very start, and I didn't have a mentor, unfortunately. It was all trial and error. I have trial and errored myself all the way to where I am, fortunately, yeah. without burying the company along the way. Yeah, you know, I guess uh, with manufacturing, it's it's quite it's a thing that when you don't know anything about it, it's just like this gray area. You that you know, a successful company out there, like how are they making these products? You know, and I wonder like how much what it takes or. And then companies will try to sell you, you know, that they created some fabric or they did some, you know, and, yes. and you realize. Yes. Um, okay, a, co- a common one would be sweat wicking, compression. And you just think how, what and who approved and is it certified? I'll be honest, probably not at all. The, the most important things you'll want to do is, like I said, outreach to as many as you can, um, begin the conversation, okay? And through volume, you can kind of whittle down who seems genuine, who doesn't, who do you get on with? But then that, like, juncture, number one most important thing is, what is the cost to sample a product? What is their lead time? What minimum order quantities do they put in place? Um, I'll tell you straight up now, go for ones that can do smaller runs. You do not want to be wasting cash flow, putting too much money out initially for product that probably, let's be honest, you're a startup. It is quite competitive. It won't. It's not going to fly off the shelves. 100%. I think from my, my experience, um, for anyone that doesn't know lead time, that's how long like it'll take them to like make your product. Um, so Yeah, I would say on average samples, probably it could be 10 to 15 days as a, as a lead time. Depends what their turnaround is. And once you've look to place the actual order they'll call it a bulk order Mm, anything from 20 to 25 maybe working days or up to six weeks i would say so you know we'll we'll dive into that a bit more but there's a stage before that which is like thinking and designing the product yes i'm guessing obviously over time you've probably improved in that um but in the early days like you know when you're making your first products how are you doing that? Like, and if I give you my example, what I was doing was um, I would just take an image from like Google search and I would like, <laughs> then in Photoshop, just stick our logo on there and then, you know, and send that to them, say, here you go. You know, not really thinking too much about like what is really like the fabric or what is like the sizing of the clothes, the, the t-shirt or if any was any other product. 
Well, I think we can both agree, Sean, that we're not fashion designers. Either us will look at each other now or nod our heads. Uh, That is very, very true. When I did the Uniqlo t-shirts, they were actually colours. And um, the branding now is, is all monochrome. And the reason behind that is you can mix and match any top half, any bottom half, whether that's with any other piece or another piece in your wardrobe. So it's like a, it's a convenience thing. It saves people time and effort in choosing their what they want to wear in the morning So um, or when they go to the gym. From there, uh, the reason I did that was because it was, it was actually cheaper. Okay, initially, I didn't want to buy five, six, seven different colors of an item. And quite frankly, I really never did want to sell products off the back of the fact they were just bright yellow. I didn't want to look like an Illuminous runner and I didn't want to be plastered in Lululemon and Nike because it was too expensive. So I was trying to find a, the answer to a middle point. Yeah. Okay, and I suppose that's going to go into um, finding who your customer is and what you stand for. But going back to that process, I guess, you know, at the end of the day, the Uniqlo t-shirts were cut for me. But when I actually moved to China and I went for uh, sampling, the the best advice I can give is if it's not your expertise is to plagiarize wisely, okay? And um, that means go into your own wardrobe, pick your favorite three to five T-shirts, put them on a big table, start measuring them, start looking at them, start analyzing them, everything from cuff lengths to the total length, neck widths, everything. And if you want, the easiest option is probably to send those items to China and um, draw up a basic tech pack, take pictures of the items, Start putting arrows in different places. This is if you're really... So a tech pack is like a, a flat drawing or it's a technical drawing and it will highlight the front of the product, maybe the side and also the back. And then on there it will have all the details, maybe the size chart, the, the lengths, everything, where the logo placements go. So it's a very clear image because as we both know, if you're not very, very clear with this, things can come out entirely wrong. A very, very basic tech pack drawing is key because that will help you communicate to your supplier, which, by the way, I normally do on Skype. I don't know if that's the same for you. Yeah. And send them a couple of a couple of the samples. Say, I really like this fabric on T-shirt A. I really like the cut of T-shirt B. And I really like the sleeves on T-shirt C. Yeah, you know, it pretty much exactly kind of like the process even for for myself. So I started off with um, the same. looked in, looked in my clothes. What's um, what is it made out of? The material, measure it. Just get a measuring tape and start measuring. The other thing I did was I went and bought all the companies that are making something remotely similar that I like of. And um, I did that too. Yeah, market research. Yeah, like it's all been done for you. Like the thing about clothing brands is that it's nothing new. As much as you might think oh, my brand is new, or I'm going to make the greatest, like, leggings ever. Like, it's still going to consist of something which is humanly possible and already available in the market. I I say this to everyone. There is no difference between the T-shirt I've made, you've made, the one you're wearing, the one with the Nike tick, nothing. It's a T-shirt, really, for the most part. It's literally that logo on it and the branding, what it stands for. Why Why is someone going to buy that T-shirt? Why, why would they want your T-shirt over the other T-shirt? What does it mean for them to showcase the fact they've bought your T-shirt? These are the questions you have to ask yourself. So from day one, the vision and the authenticity about why you're doing what you're doing is so important. If you're going to try and design a brand because you like someone else's, 
you are going off on the wrong foot. You'll be one step behind always. And when you delve deeper and deeper into that rabbit hole, you'll get completely lost. So number one, do some market research, but on brands that you like and brands that are relatable to you, not what something you know that you're trying to aspire to too much. Make it as close to your heart as possible. The other thing that I did was uh, most companies would put like the the split of the material on on the website, so you know if it's ninety five percent cotton or five percent elastane or whatever it is, or if it's a hoodie. So that helps you kind of understand as well. Okay, this is this material. This is this material. When I was getting into it, I thought I really have to be like you know like a fabric specialist, or I got to go to like local shops and feel and touch fabric to know which one do I want, like, the truth is, if you do your research, and you can communicate effectively, the manufacturers do this every single day. And from that point, they're quite good at absorbing the information and giving you something. Mm -hmm. So that's something is the first sample. And then if once you have that, then you can work on that, okay, but now I want to change this sample like this, make the sleeve shorter, make the neck tighter, then you pretty much just work with them. And that's where it's important that the people that you're speaking to, you know, can I, can I can I ask you how many of the it doesn't have to be a percentage or anything but how many of the samples that you've requested have actually come to you perfect in like phase and step one? Uh, probably zero. <laughs> you know, it's um... yeah. I'm I'm gonna say for me zero. It's 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 how much is this sample not like the sample I originally asked but on for. On the flip closer. side, I'm always a bit impressed that, oh, at least it's the same colour. At yeah, least, like, yeah. it's uh, remotely so similar to what I want. Expectations quite low. It's come through the right colour. The stitching isn't awful. You know, if anything, watch out for the stitching and the quality most and feel the fabric. Everything else, the cut and the sleeves and whatever, like, you can play with that. You can fix that. But if something comes through and it's just awful quality, like, red flag. Just do a runner. It's because the reason I say that is because when I was starting, I've seen, um, if you look at the reviews, most people are like, oh, don't, don't manufacture overseas. Oh, it's bad. You lose money. People scam you. Mm-hmm. All that you can, don't worry about. Like, it's never happened to me. I don't really know because these are people's businesses and this is what they do. So I've not been scammed. Yes, you do have to like pay them or bank transfer them some money. Like, you know, that's, that's the way I do it. Most wouldn't even take PayPal. They might take it for samples, but most times you just have to do them a bank transfer. Like you have to just trust that they're going to do their side and they're going to send it to you. Well, I think what's important is um, we are at a level where we can look back and say we've done that and we're probably quite well educated and smart in that degree. We made the right choices at a, at a basic level. And I think maybe there are people out there that really will struggle with that. And um, do be sensible. Like when I said filter the results, filter those results. And if you just get a funny feeling about the way they're talking to you or the way they're demanding for money, like at the end of the day, you're the boss. They are working for you. You're paying them. So you set out whatever the rules are. You say, I want to pay by PayPal for the samples and pay by PayPal. It gives you some protection. You can bank transfer. I probably wouldn't recommend that first off. I'd say just go go with PayPal or whatever is safe. Whatever feels right. And don't, I think what's really important is don't rush it. You know what, like I, for my own company, we're going through a rebranding and it's been almost four or five, you know, up to six months. I haven't released any products, haven't done anything in particular because I'm kind of working on the assets of the company, focusing on fixing it, getting it all right. Even in my stage, there's there's no rush. You don't need to do anything quickly. If anything, the, the pre-launch period is more important 
are as important as the launch. The branding and what you do, the hype going into it, we'll go into that with influencers, but who you have representing and what the message is, all of that is just as important. So take your time, for sure, take your time with it. I agree with when it comes to do the safest thing. And secondly, the time is important thing because um, and you learn that through experience that you feel like something has to happen right now, but then you just eventually realize that it doesn't matter if it takes another week or two. Like everything can always be moved around. We've done that many times with influencer launches. It's been like eight weeks later, but then it was just better and everyone was ready for it rather than rushing it from the, like the whole process of creating a product to selling it. Well, don't get us wrong. Like I'm always in a rush. Yeah. You're probably always in a rush. It's, it's bish, bash, bosh. It's get up, let's go, let's go, let's do, let's do. But at that same time, like you can have short-term speed, but in a Gary V sense, you do need some longer-term patience and think about what the impact is. If you do, re- if you release it tomorrow, what's going to happen? If you release it a week later, come on, like there isn't much yeah, difference. I'll give you an actual practical example. So we were meant to release the restock of the Gracefit bands that we manufactured on Boxing Day, but... Mm. In the first release, we didn't uh, create uh, custom packaging. So we then went to a new packaging manufacturer, made packaging, and it came out pants. That it, was just, it just wasn't the good quality. Like when you touch it, it felt like a carrier bag more than like a nice thick packaging. So we had to like find a new manufacturer, go through the whole process again, which meant like it took us four weeks to just make the packaging, which meant we delayed the release about five, five to six weeks before we could sell it. But then the, the benefit was... Even though, yeah, um, you know, we delayed it. It was annoying. We had to, like, tell our clients, tell the customers. In the end, we sold a better product and everybody loves the packaging. So customer experience is important. Delivering value is important. Your logistics, how fast you ship an item, your packaging, how they open it and what it looks like is, you know, I don't know what the you know, what's the likelihood that someone's then going to take a picture of it to promote it. If it didn't come in custom packaging or it came like, let's be honest, crap, it, it would rub off on the feel, for instance, maybe for Grace, that they're just trying to offload product because of her name. And that's not, yeah, that's not good. That's exactly what we went through. So the first yeah. release, we sent it in standard packaging, like envelopes and like mailer bags. Yeah. And that's exactly what the reviews were. People were like, it looks like I bought something off eBay. And that's me being 100% true. And we were like, that was not the intention here because we're actually creating a product. So then we doubled down and made packaging that works, that, you know, it's it's like, it's vegan, it's this, it's it's recyclable. So everything we thought about to make the right packaging for the audience, for her people. And, you know, now now it's worked. And um, there's a key thing going back to just like time is that if you know something's going to work, like it doesn't waiting for it to make it right is the right thing to do and i've learned that with experience yeah, like yeah you got to have the faith and the confidence in what you're doing i, I mean with, with my own packaging i will i used to anyway um hand write notes on everything and i'll be honest the difference it makes to give a free wristband to put in some flyers offer an additional discount for a future purchase write a thank you note that's completely custom to them when they open it they feel like a part of your company they're a lot less likely to open it, try it on, have a wardrobing kind of experience where, oh, it might not fit and I'll just send it back. You know, you want them to open that and especially if it's a a new or first time customer, to really feel empowered or, you know, excited to open that product. And I think what you've just said there exactly like harps onto that. And I think that's very, very important. It's something that's overlooked. People are spending too much time caring about the way a product looks or how the t-shirt does this but they're not looking at the bigger picture 
And I think that's what a lot of people struggle with, is they care so much about the what's and the how's and the why's, but they're not considering the implementation of what they're doing. You know, for me, um, that's actually the learning experience because I have more experience in like web and like tech, but to physically create products in the customer service at this scale because we sold so many products, that was a learning experience for me. Like I wish like I'd spoken to more people before who gave me the heads up about this because I didn't think from a customer's point of view that much. And in hindsight, that's the most important thing because in this release has gone so well and the feedback on social media is so good. That just helps like the company grow in itself because then people literally tweet like, oh, best customer service ever or oh, I love getting you know a text what, message. Dude, it's know? the power of leverage yeah. and we both know this. If the 1,000 people that buy that product are extremely happy and you have 500 extra people off the back of that posting yeah. and reviewing and putting up a YouTube video, putting up an Instagram story unboxing, that hype is worth its weight in gold. Yeah. So you have to get that right. And that's what we realized. And I think just to finish off, like, the point of manufacturing is just um, pretty much the same to what uh, Tom was saying, is that going to Alibaba is fine. Find people, get them on Skype, you can have a conversation with them, um, and just start the process. It's all about being practical. Like, if you want to learn how to create your own products, like, you just got to go and do it. Like, there's no other way. Like, there's no guide, no course. There's nothing that can show you the right way, really. They can give you tips and tricks, but going through the whole experience yourself and is is the way and that's pretty much like how i've done everything in my business and what i wanted to ask you next is just that too what we're what we're we're getting at here is like every element of the business needs to be attacked appropriately and it's more than just when you want to create a t-shirt all you focus on is the manufacturing the t-shirt the t-shirt and then you know six weeks later you have the t-shirt and it's there and you're like okay well what's next and you've missed out everything else that needs to go into it that, quite frankly, is a lot, lot more important. Because making the T-shirt is not the hard bit. Yeah, and, um, you know, and, and, and the whole business in that way needs to be, um, I'm a firm believer of that, you have to, like, attempt it yourself. Mm. So you have some basic knowledge on something. So, like, I have basic knowledge about every aspect of the business right now. So if that's, like a back-end server issue and how are we going to solve that? Or is that like an, an app issue and something wrong in iOS or Android-specific issue? Or if it's a manufacturing issue, a fulfillment issue, a design issue? Like, I generally have basic knowledge of every aspect of the business. And that gives me the ability to be able to solve problems, lead the team. And that's what I wanted to get at with you because with most people starting out, that's what they normally struggle at. They're like, oh, I want to do something, but I don't know how to. And, um, you know, because yourself, you've you've gone ahead and done, I said, all the little bits yourself. So I guess, you know... Put it this way, I'm three years in and I'm only just hiring someone full-time, just one extra person. And everything else off the back of that has been freelance to kind of fill voids that are sat in my strengths that I'm just... Like, you need to know your strengths, number one, I would say, and use them wisely and develop them as best you can. There is no point spending your time trying to bring up weaknesses because it will. I will never be the guy that can do Google ads, Facebook ads, back office, website design, product development, legal, accountancy, you know, let alone deal with social posting, content creating, everything. Believe me, you will be swamped. So know your strengths, for instance. And even when you know them and you're working on them, you're still going up against people that are at the top of their game that have the same strength as you and they're outsourcing different elements. So I think it's really, really very important to know what you're good at 
and and play to that. But in the same vein, yes, 100%, I have done everything. You've done all, everything as well. And it's important to just be in the trenches and have a little bit of experience so that when you do bring someone in, you're not totally green. You're not going to get ripped off. You don't know, you know, for instance, what they're talking about. You'll be in a better position to lead them. When I first ever started my business, um, which was different to what it is today, I paid someone, like, I think, £1,500 to make like one landing page because <laughs> I had no idea about how websites work wow. or anything. But that's so, fair enough. Yeah. I, I, I look at you and I smile and I go, yeah, that happens. Yeah. It really does happen. So, but if I, at that point, had done probably more research and had probably tried doing something myself, in hindsight, I would have known better. Um, because what may most, I think, young entrepreneurs go wrong, because everyone throws this out a lot, oh, just uh, just outsource it, or oh, just get someone to do it for you. And people think, okay, so if I just get a person to do all the little things that need to be done, they'll magically come together well, and it's going to be fine. Get, get an assistant. Get whatever, you know, yeah. just outsource out. You know what? It, it'll get very expensive very quickly. You won't be able to micromanage five different people on five different time zones in five different areas. On You know, it, it would become a nightmare. The, the way I've always approached it, I, I look, I research the things. So if, even if it was, let's just say, if it's SEO, like, you know, I would research it, learn how to do the basic version of it myself. Mm-hmm. So then if I was to get, let's just say, a freelancer in or, or a company to come and do it for me, I know what I'm, what, what I'm looking for. I know the things that you need to ask. Um, Keywords, you know. You know. It's a bit like the Pareto's um, 80-20 law. You can get most of those results, 80% of the results, from 20% of your learning or input. To really nail something in and be expertise and proficient, you know, you leave that to someone else if that's not your strength. I think as a business owner, have a couple of things. I'm great with photos. I'm great with content. I'm great kind of with marketing and vision. So that's me set. So anything that I'm not, you know, in in line with that, then I will outsource or look. But don't get me wrong, I've spent my time and I've learned a little bit here and there and understanding keywords it's it's very very important yeah yeah um and i find that for any like more like i would say founder-led businesses which are probably like smaller businesses like uh, my business or your business that Mm. if you don't are willing to have the expertise yourself and it's going to be tough and expensive because most people will just um charge you loads and make you something but it's not inconsistent to like everything else that you were doing you know i've had the same from like content creation to um, to website work, to to apps, to to pretty much everything, because I've been through it all. From like going through many different staff to freelancers, and you know, and that's what I've learned through my experience. Is like you need to know what you want and how you want it before yeah. someone can come and do it for you. Mm. A lot of people think like, oh, I need a website, and then you're just going to get a company. They're going to make you an amazing website, and that's the end of that. And you know, and that's what. I'm getting at is the point that... Well, look at their work. They tend to have a a natural bias to create a certain website. And quite frankly, they're all going to look a bit like those websites. So you do need to know what you want and be very, very clear on how you put that forward to someone. But with websites, different things, you know, there's so many templated things that you can control and work from yourself like I've done that make it a lot, lot easier for you. So look into Shopify or look into Wix, whatever it is. For the record, I use Shopify and I 100% just recommend that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess, look, we talked about it. You manufacture some products, started selling them. 
Mm. Um, you know, what, what's really happened since then? Because I guess... Well, there, therein comes the kind of the meaty part. You have your products. Yeah. You've, you've taken a few pictures on Instagram and you're kind of like, well, what do I do next? Who can I get um, to maybe recruit or help? At the end of the day, like leverage is important. And if I have 30,000 followers on Instagram, let's say, every time I post, that will go to that same audience. It's a bit like when we work, we, we have 24 hours in a day. Yeah. It does become important at some point to start leveraging your time and allowing other people to work for you. If you can get 10 people that are sold on your brand and aligned with your own vision and you can see them, which is also important, longer term staying with you, then at that point it's a case of, well, I need to provide that person with some good value and what can we do to work together and how can I get them on my side to help promote my brand? Because trying to just promote it off your own back will become very tedious and tiresome initially. So I think that next step becomes, I mean, don't get me wrong, like I could go into, you know, right at the very start, you're going to want a vision for your brand. You're going to want to understand exactly who your customer is. You're going to want to have a narrative and a why for your brand, all these different things. But when you've got that clear, okay, you're, you're, you're there and you have your, let's say, first product, at that point, it's a case of who do you turn to and how do you use certain mediums, social mediums or marketing tools to kind of grow that business in probably the most important ways, the cheapest. Yeah. I read a book, um, uh, The Lean Startup, I think, or Zero to One, one of, one of these, um, and it was very much harping on about learning everything for yourself and also looking for the cheapest route going forward always. Yeah, so that talks a lot about like testing. So you test something and if it works, then, then you like, you know, then you do it mm-hmm. rather than just the doing approach, like this, like the MVP approach. So like if, if it, even if it was for promotion, like, you know, test like influencer strategy or like SEO strategy, you test before you think because in business what you'll find is I can say this, like 99% of things that I think that would work, like don't work. Mm-hmm. And the results actually show you what works. Yeah. And um, and and that that's, that's like what the book is like really focuses on is the fact that, you know, live do things in a lean way, meaning like the cheapest way possible, um, for sure. With, with your brand itself, so you started to um, sell, I guess, just talking through the journey of the company then from that point till now and why have you decided to like keep it small? Because I think from when we spoke... Uh, a while back, I remember you telling me that you like running your business in this way for now. Like every business goal is not to be the biggest company in the world. And this is something that when you said to me last time, I was quite surprised with because generally anyone you meet, they want to be the richest, they want to be the biggest, they want to be the best. And that's like the only way generally businesses think that, you know, you want to crush every other active wear brand and be the only active wear monopoly. Well, I, what I always say to people, and I think it's something the author Daniel Priestley talks about is, Find your loyal subscribers, find them. And if you can find 500 of those people that on launch day are going to say yes to your product and they're going to buy it, then you will be a very, very happy person. The problem with trying to make 100 million a year initially and trying to appease everyone initially is that most of the time you appease nobody and nobody really cares that much about the product. So go very niche. Find out, like I said, with what you stand for and who you are and understand that customer and attack them. And if you can get 500 law fans to buy that product off the bat... Is that what you did then? um, You know what? When I worked as a broker, I worked in finance, I worked in the city and the, the, the hobby 
of running my business because I didn't take it that seriously at the start. I didn't do a lot of testing. I didn't think too much. I did it for fun. And it wasn't until 2015 that I had the opportunity to quit that job. You know, I was trying to juggle being up at 5 a.m., reading the markets, going in, sending tweets out, bringing my orders with me. Off on lunch break, I would go and send those. I'd get back in on the office after trying to eat like three or four pret sandwiches. You know, I'd stand up, I'd be on calls all day and I'd finish, head to the gym and I'd be back by 9.30. I'd work on the back end, the website, the emails, I'd pack the orders. It was a hard, never-ending cycle, it felt like. And that's something, you know, not that many people are hard-wearing. If you want to do this, you need to be hard-wearing. This isn't just, hey, by the way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit my job and I'm just going to make a T-shirt and everything will be cool. No, no, no. I worked like a full-time job and I was running that six months to a year and just testing out and seeing what really happened and was this going to be a good fit. And it wasn't until I did Body Power in 2015 where, you know, the money was great. But for me, it was the feedback. It was the people going, I love that idea. I love the collection. It looks great. It fit, like you have a good idea, keep with it. And from there, I, you know, I axed it. My friend that um, is very su- successful said, you know, you're stood on the edge of a cliff and you're watching people and they're kind of sailing over you, they're paragliding over you. And he's like, and, until you jump, you know, and you commit, you're never going to see the right results. So at that point, I kind of nodded. I remember this very well. We were eating. It's Greg, uh, Greg Duggan. We were eating in Giraffe, the restaurant. And uh, I said, okay. So I did it. I quit the job. I went full time. And I think that level of commitment really changed my focus. I wasn't that, uh, you know, I wasn't doing the testing. I didn't have any specific goals, marketing strategies, nothing. I was kind of free floating a little bit. If you want to be taken seriously and you want to do well with something, there needs to be hierarchical structures and plans, monthly goals, weekly goals, all of this kind of thing is very important. So I guess 2015, you took it full time and generally like every month you're trying to like sell more than the previous month. Like how do you operate like as, as a founder, you know, so I, I'll start with myself. So I'm very, um, I live in like the now, which I'm trying to change, which you talk about a lot. It's like, what's the long-term vision and staying on that or staying on that path but I am somebody that lives in the now a lot, meaning that I deal with like what we need to do right now. I'm dealing with all those issues, solving them, things I need to action that I don't so much focus on that much long, the long term thing. You, you know, I'm exactly the same as you. And, and that was one of my biggest cruxes and my biggest problems. When you're growing a business at the very start, I had the freedom to be creative. Yeah. I wasn't selling much. I could do what I want, talk to who I want, go where I wanted. But as the business grows, like you find all of a sudden you get bogged down with some smaller tasks, with lots more emails, with the day-to-day running of the business, with streamlining your logistics, with things that kind of cloud you over and, and you lose sight of some of the more important things that were driving your brand in the first place. If you're spending too much time doing yesterday's task, you're not planting seeds for future business. All of a sudden, like, yeah, you're right. Like my KPIs were as simple as, I want to make more money next month and next month. And the only time I really kind of started to hone in and focus on more KPIs was when I wasn't making more or when I hit a stagnation point and I'm like, okay, I've done 8,000 this month and then seven and a half and then seven, six. And I'm like, you know, I'm trying to do different things. And all of a sudden it's like, well, I'm going to need to start measuring 
and and kind of seeing what I'm doing right and what I'm doing wrong because it's very easy to to know. Do you know when, God, do like analytics a lot. You know what? More so lately, I've had I've had the pleasure of um, having a mentor and an investor come in on board since September October, and anything that can be measured, as he would say, can be improved. He wants to know every ad spend, every you know customer acquisition cost, almost like. For me, it's a it's a new ball game, and I'm having to learn a lot and spend a lot more time looking into numbers. And it's something I never used to do. Quite frankly, I I would I would have a camera and I would reach out to people on Instagram, and I would say I'm doing this with my brand. Hey, let's hook up. I'll give you some clothing, and let's shoot some pictures. And most of the time, what I was doing there is I was angling in by giving influencers value because I was giving them free shoots, free clothing. I'd get to meet them in person. And from that point, you know, I'd strike up a relationship, a friendship. And that was my way of building the team and building a little stronghold and base. And if I didn't like the person, you know, it's very easy. I would cut them off. If they were good and they were friendly and we, we did good content, we shot cool videos, then I would continue with them. So I think although that method is a little bit archaic now, um, people have levels to, you know, there's micro ambassadors people maybe 5 to 15,000 there's these kind of mid-level ambassadors and then you've got the higher strong you know 100,000 plus money then becomes much more of a conversation and people have become a little more habitualized to the influencer scene and people are very wary and very knowledgeable of what they think they're worth i can't operate my business and i wouldn't suggest you do so much in that same light yes provide as much value as possible but yes, understand that behind that, influencers might want more or might want money. And it becomes a little more kind of rocky with how you approach and negotiate with influencers. I guess, look, influencers obviously is a big part of like what we do. And um, I guess now that you touched upon it, we can, we can, we can go into it. So It's a huge part. Um, in- Instagram built my business. I built my business because it had an aesthetic, pleasing feel, vibe and vision to it. And I didn't do anything too analytical with it. I didn't like look too deep into certain routes or routes. It was very much a here is an Instagram post, here is an influencer, and you're kind of growing and seeding different avenues from there. So, like you said, you know, you you're making your KPIs were like make more money each month. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, simple. Like, um, and during that phase, you started influencer marketing right from the beginning because you just touched upon, you know, you took your camera, you started doing shoots. So was that the first strategy to grow well, the business? Yeah. I would say it was the first strategy. It was I'm doing body power. Okay. Um, I'm going to take you to body power and you're going to have a great time. So you went to body power as a new brand pretty much. Yeah, as a new brand, 2015. I mean, what you got to remember is those eBooks and all that period, I wasn't really selling much and it was a different business. By the time I started sampling and looking at products in 2014, I still had a full-time job and it wasn't until Christmas really that year that I had a tracksuit product and one vest. And then from December 14 through to May 15 is when I maybe had then I think 10, 12 items. And bear in mind, the white leggings were never meant to be white, which is funny. They were supposed to be black, but that wasn't picked up on. And I didn't receive my deliveries until Friday at 4 p.m. when the show had been running you know, from, from 9am that day. So there's many like trials and tribulations to and stressful moments to running it. Okay, so Body Power is an expo. And yep. um, 
but I'm guessing like the cost of an expo is quite high. So as an early business, it must have been a huge risk that you're like, you know, oh, that's it. I'm going to pay this cost and this is going to kick off the business. Like, what was the thinking behind that? It made sense to me. I'd been to Body Power for a few years running prior to that and I'd worked to Body Power. I didn't have any clue how much it would cost, what it would do for the business. It's almost like, you know, if you're going to use a certain influence and they give you a shout out, it's really like hard to knuckle down the ROI on what that means and what's tangible from that. And it's the same with body power. But let's put it this way. You will be there in front of up to 100,000 people and it's your time to do something. It's your time to smile. It's your time to talk. It's your time to confidently outreach, not be meek and talk to people about your brand and tell them what it stands for. And for me, it's like I knew I had to go out and do that. I knew I had to get the hell out of my bedroom and stand in front of people and test whether or not this brand had any notion, it had any backbone. And I think that's really important for people to do. And I would say, yeah, you know, body power is very expensive. I'm probably not going to do it this year. And I've done it three years running. But do it, right? Go in there and get a very small stand and just get some basic bannerings. Keep everything as cheap as you can. I can't quote the square footage and the pricing and all this, but give them a call, ask them about it. Try and pitch yourself in a sensible area, not next to direct competition, but have a little look at the floor plan. Have a look at the entrances, kind of guesstimate where people might walk from. Have a look where the big brands are. You know, if you're a clothing brand, put yourself next to a supplement brand and watch maybe where you think footfall might go is it near a toilet runs is it near where people are eating all these kind of things you know be sensible the the point there is that like you gotta like work on your thing you know like obviously so if if with anything like you need to analyze you know you prepare you need to like you know rather than um, just go and get a stand and you know see something's gonna happen so it's about the preparation around it I um, i was quite lucky but in hindsight you know what, you really don't want to be putting money down the drain. Prepare as much as possible. Do everything that you can right within your power from the outset and be very clear. Otherwise, yes, you will. So that expo made you believe that, okay, this brand has a future? It did, yeah, for sure. Okay. Mm. What was your like KPIs in your mind that would give you that feeling? The reason I asked that is because in the early days of my business, I think the biggest thing that would trouble me is that is this a real business? Is this a real business? Shall I go back to my job? Yeah. Like those yeah. are thoughts you'll yeah, the, come the up with when you're running your own is, thing. Is yeah. get yourself a real job, yeah. always. And, and it's, it's in your mind because we're like, I guess in our generation, wired like that because I went to uni, got a degree, I had a normal full-time job, but then you leave yeah. to do your own business. You need a nine to five, you need to work in a, something that will give you a payoff in the future, you want to make your money. I, I, you know what, I always said, um, when I was earning more from the company than I was from my day job, that validated it for me. Like that was the most important thing. I was like, you know what, when when I can hit, I think it was like 3,000 per month or something. When it hits that as a revenue, I'm not looking at gross profit or anything like this, then for me that means that I'm doing something right and I'm willing to kind of jump ship, trade off my current salary and say, let's make this work. And I think, you know, it's it's important not only to work hard and go into that, but you ne- you do need somewhat of a KPI, you know, be sensible if you have rent to pay or whatever it is. You have to cover these costs and don't just go jumping in head first. All right, cool. So I guess, um, I think what screams to me though is at an expo, mm. there's only so many people that can see you, right? I, we can assume that an expo would at least cost like five to 10,000. Yeah, I think my first maybe was about 6,000. Yeah, so you know, it's like five to 10,000. Do you think 
that even though it may have worked for you but do you think that's the right strategy because what comes to me is you could have reached more people online with like a 6000 ad spend yeah potentially yeah. or whatever yeah okay well you're a clothing brand and um one of the biggest problems is what does it feel like what does it look like how is it to try on there are barriers and you're an un, if you're an un, like it's all well and good to say you know what i could have spent 6k on some brand awareness ads yeah. or something or i could have tried to run a 50% sale and right hooked everyone to make a purchase but i you know i think at the end of the day you you need a, a mixture like yeah. if, if your budget is 6 grand make that expo cost 4 okay be at the expo show people your product pitch your product sell it be there be present be mindful right and then with the other 2 grand funnel that into some ads do a brand awareness ad at the same time that you're doing body power you have to look at everything in a logical wholesome manner doing a body power show just gave me the validation that people like the brand it didn't mean i was going to be a success right and what i've learned is yes you need to attack everyone from every angle if you have ambassadors they should be on facebook on snapchat on instagram everywhere your ads should cover google facebook and everything you can't just say i'm going to do this one event or i'm going to have one strategy and if it pays off it work because it won't yeah. in in the very sort of likelihood scheme so you, know, you touched on the word success then like at the moment do you, do you see yourself as a successful founder a successful brand i see myself as um quite a <laughs> I've I've been around the block. I'd definitely been around the block. I'd say I was quite successful in some regards because I'm still here. And there is so much competition and it's so hard that trying to ebb out a niche, that's the most difficult thing. To be here for three to five years is kind of like an honor in itself. But um, no, I mean, personally, I want to hit a set. Like I'd, I would love to hit 10 million in sales. And I think at that point, we'll make a decision on whether or not I want to sell the company, value the company, see what it's worth and kind of move forward. I mean, I have a, being an entrepreneur like like yourself, I have a lot of ideas, I have a lot of other projects, a lot of things I want to run and do. The message behind the brand is what keeps me going. It's not just about it. Believe me, you will get very bored of putting on a, a great set of joggers and a t-shirt after 3 years when you've had 4000 customer emails and complaints and things that drag you down. So, if it wasn't for me to try and spread the message, or impact people through active living that you know wouldn't keep me going interesting so i guess um even for me it, it's quite similar that i think there's two sides to how you feel about yourself so in one way i, I do mean, I feel successful yeah but i do feel successful because i managed to like create something out of nothing and then it works and then you see it work so you know in that way it's quite successful because you remember where you started where you didn't think you could do any of it that was me. I didn't think I'd be able to run a website, know about tech, know like how servers work or how the architecture needs to be or what, you know, I'll be having conversations with people that I'm, I'm, I'm know more about the industry than me, but I'm still like quite superior in terms of like my knowledge in an area or what I'm able to say that could generally sit across, you know, people that are better than me and still hold my own. So that to me like feels like success for sure. You know what, you've just harboured me down and made me feel a little more grateful. And I think what's difficult when you're in our position is, you know, you have a target. It could be 10,000 per month. It could be this. And once you've hit that, you're just, I'm on to the next. 
and I'm on to the next. And you're constantly reaching, aren't you? And you never stop and just say, okay, I'm happy. And for you just now to say, look, I was once in a bedroom. I'm now here with a certain amount of employees making a certain tone. You know what? Yes, that is a huge, huge, huge success. And kudos as well for that. You know, like for us, for our company, last month was the best month in the history of the company. So we did close to like um, close to like half a million sales basically in one month. So mm. it's by far our best month. Um, and you're so right because at that moment, it feels really weird because this was probably a really large KPI in my head. And we I reached it. And then it's like, but now what? What, you got to like keep on going? And this is where I'm finding that things get hard because we've reached like stage one of the business, that it's a solid business. Month-on-month revenue for the last like 15 months is very solid. The amount we make net is solid, you know, profitable. That from this point to get the energy again to then get myself to the new milestone and the new milestone didn't even exist because I always ever only ever wanted to get to this stage. <laughs> yeah, you're there and you're like, I've just got to hit this. I've just got to hit this. You fall at the finish line. You're like, I've hit it. And then you're like, oh, oh, oh what's next? Like, where am I? Like, it, it's really strange. It's like having the rug pulled from underneath you. Like, you're so focused on this goal. And then once it's hit, it's almost like everything evaporates. You all of a sudden feel how stressed you've been. And you look around and you're like, okay, what is next? Yeah, no, I feel like I need like three months off to figure out what is next. Sean, go on holiday. Yeah. Just take a break. Let's go on holiday together. Yeah. And um, then, um, but then it comes back to your first ever thing and what we spoke about generally as well is like the concept of your vision. And I think now I've been thinking a lot more about that, that now that I know I can hit like crazy milestones that I never thought I would be able to hit, you know, and, and achieve things that... I wouldn't be able to achieve. Now that I've done that, now vision comes into play. And some people maybe think about it earlier in the business. You know what, I didn't. Yeah. But what what is it that's important to you? And what is it that you think the company can access and impact and enable and change and in some kind of act of reciprocity? Like, what will that give back to you? Because at the end of the day, it's like the figures get numbing. But giving and changing someone's life or what in, in, sounds a bit cheesy but that for me is the kind of the marker to go for and that's what will really drive you forward but until you've kind of nailed that you know those kpis can really just hone in on you yeah and they're, they're obviously they're going forever it's yeah, never going to stop yeah, because for example like i've gone and raised funds i have a board and obviously they always want to see better 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 results so you know at some point it's very hard to only be motivated by the next big KPI. Mm. And that's the situation I'm in right now. Like, yeah, I know next month and the month after with things coming up, the sales are going to be good. Everything's going to be fine. Those days are kind of like past me now where you would sell one month and then you would think, am I going to sell zero the next month? Like, you know, you're almost like yeah. doubting what's the success that's happened because you're like, surely I can't do this much next month. Like, I think everyone that wanted it has already bought it now. How am I going to reach new people? <laughs> Especially if you're not doing anything new, then you think like, what yeah, I thought, yeah. yeah. What I find in e-commerce though, one thing is that people react in the exact same way. That people are kind of like machines. Mm. That if you get a certain conversion rate, it's always the same conversion rate. If some people buy this product, people come and buy the product and exactly like it keeps on happening. That's what I found in our business that there's no, um, obviously if you launch a product, there's going to be some hype, but generally if the behavior is a certain way, 
everyone behaves in the same way. If you have a certain funnel and you have a certain amount of unique visitors and your conversion rate might be 1.75 to 2.4, whatever it is, like, yeah, it just tends to trickle in. It just keeps on working, which is like a very bizarre thing. But I guess as you start trusting that, it's, it's just trusting it. Because in the early days, I would not trust it. I'd be like, it's not going to happen next month. That's maybe the. Well, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm still afraid. I'm scared. I'm sat here where I'm like trying to sell out the 1.0 version of all of our products. And I'm investing all the money into, you know, a 2.0 kind of range. And, you know, you're set, my sales are lower because I'm, I'm trying to stock out of everything. And it's a case of when I go to bring the products back, like, will the sales still be there? You know, will people appreciate the new approach in branding? So, yeah. So, you know, um, vision is important. That's something that we're dealing with right now. And well, myself. Touch on those things. Yes. Vision. Very important. The narrative, your brand, all the whys. When you're there and you're set and you really know why you're, you know, what impact you're going to make and why you're there and why you're here to do this. Then, yes, look at the manufacturing. And go ahead, make yourself a T-shirt. Then consider the influencers. And go in at the bottom always. Go cheap and consider what value can you give them that's outside the box. Don't always think money. Think, can I make you a promo video? Can I give you three months of something? You know, can I give you a three-month gym membership? I don't know. Just be, I don't know, anything. Just think more outside the box about how you approach people and what you offer them. And, And once you have some leverage with influencers, you know, when you start to see sales relax a little bit and then consider what the next product is and the direction like, you know as i said i guess you know you have a small brand mm. like influencer marketing obviously is like the biggest thing in marketing right now and obviously we work with a lot of influencers so imagine other brands that are like smaller than you like your size you know in your opinion is influencer marketing like a strategy for you the right strategy for you being that it's very hard to compete from my experience, because the larger, high-engaging ones, you know, would possibly with, with larger brands, or they can offer larger retainers too. So the pickings are smaller. And I think the influencer marketing scene has kind of matured yeah. a little bit. And it, at the end of the day, it's about money. When, when the demand is there, what happens? The cost goes up and the transparency evolves a little bit. Yeah. And if you don't have the money, you have to find another source to provide value to people there is an option there where, where you can select micro ambassadors or smaller people with five to ten thousand followings but at that point you're then gonna rather than just spraying a, a shotgun shot at picking people yeah. you have to really find people whose audience is your audience yeah talk me through it then i think i want to be a bit more practical so let's just say you had to find one of those influencers for gym versus and um, like what what's your process in physically doing that and then number two you know how do you then assess a performance of one you know what's what's kind of like benchmarks if you were to get like a super micro influencer they make five sales is that good and you know are you doing it purely commission-based like just a bit more information about your strategy to do with influencers and how do you do your process um well let's say in 2016 i'd have a team of influencers and they would average anything from 15 to 20 sales a month it was very healthy. In 2017, as I was kind of removing the ambassadors from the scene, going into a rebrand, maybe I was seeing five to six to seven to eight. Like it just totally changed. At the moment, it seems as though the 10% codes and the click here and check this out just aren't working so well. And the people that do work are 
the ones with the bigger, more engaged following. So it's like you're you're almost forced into the this like it doesn't work if I go with that approach. But if I want a grace fit or someone like this or a higher strung athlete, then you're going to have to pay. But from my approach, you need to spend a lot of time on Instagram. Be grateful for it. You can contact, you know, at 11 p.m. in your dressing gown, a store owner in Australia and say, how do you like my clothes? Okay, you can reach absolutely anybody. Do you do any uh, like wholesale, like selling to other? At the moment, I'm looking at some collaborations and... Yes, we do. And also, we are setting up exclusive distribution rights with, we've, well, we've successfully done Kosovo. And China is an option and also Marbella. So at the moment, I mean, the thing is, is I'm fixing the basics. I'm changing the products. I'm changing the branding. So it's like a hunker down quiet mode. But as soon as I've come off the back of that, let's be real, like offline distribution or selling direct to shops or showing face in an expo is being ignored more, cold calling, being normal. Why? Because everyone is pushing a scene on Instagram and it's become populated and saturated. So it is important, like when you're a young business owner, look at other avenues that can still work. You can still create an amazing product and sell it to somewhere else in the world and they can buy thousands and thousands of you. You know, you don't have to have the biggest person on Instagram to sell your products. Like it might work yeah. for one brand, but that's what I've shied away from. And it's not it's not the answer. At the end of the day, if, if you know someone or you're connected and you can walk into a gym, even if it's the case that you're offering a loyalty card where you say, look, can I offer your gym? I'm a local business, 10 percent off purchases for your client base. You know, can that work? Can I hold a class with one of my ambassadors to, to run like a little yoga event and we'll give out some free yoga mats maybe some free like you have to think outside the box to be competitive and the problem is is I could tell you sure go on Instagram spend two hours go on to a certain individual that's popular go through their followers and their following and start to ebb out like oh someone that's a little bit lower down but they have high engagement and then build up a list create a separate private account and then maybe start DMing so that you can keep control of it all of them and get a gauge on, you know, sell sell the brand to them at that point and what you can offer them and then get a gauge. Maybe out of the 50, you might get 10 replies yeah. and then try and seal in and work with them. Like that, at the end of the day, it's a but, that, but that's all practical, like, yeah, you know, it's, like it's real volume. stuff. You know, yeah. you have to sit there and do the work. Mm. The, the reality yeah. of it is it's, yeah. it's volume and hard work. If you want to find the right influencer that aligns with your brand, sit there and go on a certain hashtag and just go through them all. And it's painstakingly slow. But, I mean, I do believe in influencer marketing and I do think it's worth it. You do need a team around your brand. Like, you need other people to testify and say this product is good. Nobody believes you when it comes from the, the horse's mouth, as it were. Yeah. If I'm always there saying, Jim Versus is great, buy it, people won't listen. But if I have a, a power of 100 people behind me saying, this is great, this is great, and it's opening up, see it like a, a network, a vein, like you're, you're shooting into this vein and it's going to explode and help push out your the, the biggest problem in business is awareness yeah. okay find like cutting through white noise and being seen is your number one problem so getting out your bedroom and and contacting and reaching and meeting like these are all the things that will help accelerate yeah i think the basics are like you know you've just got to try and you've got to try unbelievable amount of times for something to pay off you know like i physically myself probably pitched like 30 to 50 investors before somebody said yes you know like and that's pretty much with the first influencer we ever got 
um, it was the same thing. It was like, you must have sent like two, three hundred emails minimum, you know, um, for someone to even respond. So, people and don't, that- yeah, don't take no as a pro. Like, no is your ability to then go on and sharpen yourself. When someone says no, when someone says, I don't like your t shirt, you ask them why. You don't go home and cry about it. No's are completely normal and you have to get used to them. Yeah, I think it's different yeah. if people are saying no about your product or service compared to I have seen some businesses that just sound really bad and if someone's telling you that this does, model doesn't work and why, then you should probably listen to that too. Um, don't, don't believe in too much of your own hype. Yeah, yeah so I, for sure. I'll give you an example. So I had a, a personal trainer come up to me in the gym and he's like, he recognized me. So he was like, oh, I've got this idea. I want to really want to make it. Uh, I want to make... Um, I want to sell fitness plans mm. on my website. And I was like, right, okay. And I was like, do you have an audience already? Like, no, I have nothing. Okay. Why would someone buy from you? And it was a strange one. He was like doing um, basically like hand like drawn. So like the cover is, um, you know, the, so the fitness plans like has... Um, like, oh, like hand-drawn uh, pictures, like illustrations? Is that- um, no, more just like the cover art. You know, oh, they had okay. done it like it's like a comic. And he was saying that's why people would buy it. And um, but I was like, okay, but from a customer's point of view, would they really care? Like, you know, if, if it's drawn in a comic for you to see how to do a squat, then, then a normal image. You know, have you tested it? He's clearly an artist that loves his own work. But yeah. he, he's not having any empathy He's not standing in anyone else's shoes. He's not commercially aware, you know, like, because what your ideas in your head are like one thing, but what the person wants is one thing. The girl that wants to like lose weight, I really don't think she's going to care. And I was trying to explain to him that people like people and obviously our business works because people want to follow a person's. But in that case, you know, it's about hard, no matter how much hard work you do, something is just not well thought out you know it's, it's not just think work. of it like the x-factor yeah. auditions when you see someone that believes in themselves but they're awful and you just feel sorry for them there's there's so many people like that you gotta remember that the 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 money maker in today's society i think is implementation of ideas like thoughts and knowledge and everything is so accessible via the internet anything any question can be answered how do i make a clothing company it'll come up maybe a youtube video a full 10 minutes of everything okay that the information isn't important. His yeah. pictures, they're not important. It's how he implements those pictures, how he sells the bit. Maybe there is a market for that. Who knows? But he is not implementing it in probably the right way. Because when and, I asked him what his strategy, he goes, oh, he knows like some famous footballer or like a TV guy and he's going to promote it. So that's that's even, even further away from his customer audience, probably. Anyway, um, I think... It's been a really different episode from what we normally like talk about. I think we got really into like the business side of stuff just because as both of us run businesses, we can probably talk about it all day. Um, We did touch upon influencers and I guess the thing that we're hearing is that if you're a small business, focus on the micro influencers. But really, it's it's matured more and you're just going to have to work harder to get the same result. the key thing is to, when you say micro, that just doesn't mean just like someone with 5,000 followers. It's like, the main thing is to find your niche mm. because real following is what it's all about. And there's loads of services to justify and find what real following is. And um, you can use Social Blade, to loads of other websites that tell you the followers are fake, how, how the growth has been. So then you know if it's genuine. And 
it's about finding those people, working with those people, potentially as a strategy. But I think the biggest thing to touch upon is that as much as our business is all about influencers, for a business, it's not the only strategy. As much as people, because everybody is so dying to be cool that they think like it's the only strategy is that I have to have 100,000 followers on Instagram and then I'm going to get loads of sales. Yes, that is true. But at the same time, you can go after other strategies too, like selling products directly to retail or... Some, yeah, something that's key for me is, is speed of movement, okay? And whether you're doing it with influencers, whether you're doing it with a different marketing strategy, it's, it's not about idea A being A and, and finished product being Z, right, or Z, okay? You need to get to B, okay, get that sample done or reach out to that influencer, get feedback and move quickly. The people like us that may be seen or deemed as successful went out, worked very, very hard, got feedback and testing on why it was wrong, move forward again. And that was kind of like a cyclical process to yeah. taking many steps forward each day and each time. All right, amazing. Um, what's next for your business? And like, where can people find you, contact you? A little bit outro. Um, at Thomas Hartnett underscore is my personal or Jim Versus, simply, anywhere. You'll find it, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, etc. Um, big thing for us is that, like I said, the rebrand. So I'll be flying out to some suppliers. We'll be re-releasing all of our products. It's a very exciting time. And um, I'm sure you can follow me and see which influences I go on to use and how I improvise and uh, implement that strategy. Uh, also, we have a distribution center. So I'm, I'm outsourcing different things and a brand intern is, is on their way. So there's a lot of exciting things happening, a lot of things changing. And I'm, I'm very excited for 2018. Uh, we could we could offer in a salesy way anyone that listens to this podcast a uh, 50% code for 72 hours or something like this. Maybe we can pop something in a, in a footer for them. Give some value for your readers. There you go, outside the box for you. Um, but thank you, Sean, so much for having me um, on the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. And I hope the, um, the viewers have enjoyed this. And uh, any questions, I think it would be cool to forward them on and we can always... Yeah, Go sure. So if you hope you guys like the episode and, um, you know, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review. You can get in touch with me, Sean at athlete.com. Just let us know what you think, what more things to cover. We, obviously, in my podcast, I can cover a lot more about business and influences. So in that range, really, whatever you guys want to hear, let us know. I'm going to try to make that for you. Thank you.